0: Welcome to FitRx with Dr. Greg Dennis. Join me as we challenge the standard sick model of healthcare. This is your source for everything health, wellness, fitness, prevention, biohacking, and more. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of FitRx. I am your host, Dr. Greg Dennis. Today's guest is Dr. John Jaquish. He is a PhD in biomedical engineering. He uh, has invented several products, one for osteoporosis, which I want to ask him about, and uh, then the X3 system uh, of weightlifting, which we're going to talk most about. Uh, Mm -hmm. He recently wrote a book, which is what caught my eye, titled Weightlifting is a Waste of Time. So is cardio, and there is a better way to have the body you want. So uh, anxious to get into that book. So, Doctor Jake Wish, welcome to the show.
1: Doctor Dennis, hey, thanks for uh, thanks for letting me be here. This is yeah,
0: great. Yeah. So let's start. Tell uh, tell the audience just a little bit about your research and how you came to first kind of discover the uh, the osteostrong. Is that what it's called?
1: Uh, I'm the inventor of the osteostron.
0: Yeah, yeah, device. okay. So, yeah, so, so tell us kind of how you discovered that and then how that kind of led into this, uh, the, the X3 device and then sure. what kind of motivated you to, to write this book. So just tell us, tell us a little bit about your background. Sure.
1: My mother was diagnosed with osteoporosis 13 years ago. She read about the side effects of the drugs that she was being prescribed. It was standard bisphosphonate treatment sure. and she wanted nothing to do with it. And uh, she read the side effects and she said, I'd, I'd rather just worry about a fracture than have, have these, uh, these side effects. And she felt like she was too young she, to have these problems. She was in her uh, late 60s. And so I said, how about I take a look at this dysfunction? And uh, it just so happened that the dysfunction that I looked at that she was diagnosed with was really more a dysfunction of deconditioning. I really liked that word, deconditioning. And it was described as such in, in very limited literature. And so I thought, well, anything that's deconditioned can become reconditioned. So, but it, it's not seen as, as that way. It's sort of like a one-way street. You start losing bone density and well, you're just getting old. Well, yeah, but when metabolic syndrome isn't just getting old. It's because you eat Twinkies and ice cream. That's why you have metabolic syndrome. So like, okay, and we can reverse that, we know we can. So what if bone density is the same thing? What if it's sort of environmental based? And of course we know that about just about every cell now, like you put the cell in the right environment and it will thrive. You put it in the wrong environment and it will suffer. I made the decision that I was going to, Approached this by finding the world's super responders to bone density, who have the highest bone density. How did they build it? And once understanding how they built it, how can I apply that to an elderly population? My mother does not like being described as elderly, but you know that's that. That's what my my intention was. And so uh, once I did a literature review, it was very obvious who the most powerful. who who had the most powerful bone, it was gymnasts, by by an astonishing degree. And so, when I looked at these gymnasts, they built this bone density because of the way they hit the ground. It was the impact they were absorbing in their bodies. Now, a typical gymnast retires when they're 19 years old. So, there's a reason for that, because they get very injured. They can have catastrophic fractures, but doesn't mean they're not building high bone density. So, I'm looking at this impact and what it does to uh, the the bone structure, the bone matrix. So, you know, you cut you cut away in a bone, and some of this is for your audience, I know you know, but you you cut, uh, cut away in a bone, and it looks like a honeycomb. There's all these little walls inside the bone, and by compressing the bone from end to end, so like this is my humerus bone, if I compress it from here to here, pinching it this way uh, from end to end, then... I can alter the shape and length of the bone briefly. And when it has to be at the appropriate force and then the bone springs back into position but the bone matrix is stimulated to pull in minerals and recalcify. Uh, what my intention was was to build a set of impact emulation devices. So giving the benefit of high impact without the risk. So it's very slow and controlled loading computer controlled and controlled by robotics when it came to positioning. So we always had the same positioning. So there were no surprises. The person was in the right impact ready position. That's what I refer to it in my my first book, which is called Osteogenic Loading. And so when people would go through the therapy, they would get a measure of functional bone performance, which in my, my opinion, my opinion is pretty biased by the way, uh because you know like i can see what the thing does and i've been very close to it but i think a functional test of bone is more important than a picture of bone like a dexa because a DEXA is dual x-ray so the standard of of diagnostics is a picture why don't we have a dynamic test so what uh, the devices ended up becoming uh, osteo-strong devices, that's what the brand is called. And there's 150 osteo-strong clinics around the world in eight different countries. Uh, you can go in there and you get a diagnostic measure of your bone performance each week, but you also get to see it go up per week as it's improving. And so that, that was the discovery. That's what I developed for my mother. And then within 18 months, after I started treating her with a prototype, uh, she had the bones of a 30-year-old. She had wow. a T-score of almost zero.
0: So I, I'm assuming, uh, the audience may not care about this, but I, I want to know, but I'm assuming she had a, an initial DEXA scan. Do you remember yeah, what that number she, was? And then what was her, her follow-up 20.
1: DEXA? She was right at the diagnosis level. Okay. And then she was at like negative 0.1. So she dropped so about two and a half She Never months. really got to zero, but she hovered at negative 0.1. And that was in 18 months, though. In 18 months
0: okay and 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 so this is a this is a device that they use what daily weekly
1: one time per week because okay. the metabolic rate of bone is uh is higher than okay. uh, different tissues of the body okay right so you know like when you do cardiovascular exercise your lungs can recover faster than your muscles can you can be ready for another run mm-hmm. later the same day from a cardiac perspective but your legs might say no. Mm-hmm. Okay. The different metabolic rates of different.
0: So they go, to, they go to one of these clinics, you know, use one of these devices, and, and then how long does it take when they use one of these devices?
1: Uh, using all four of them in one section is about 10 minutes. Okay. How long. And, so, and they just,
0: do it once a week. And they do it once a week for how, how long, typically?
1: We recommend two years so they can get to the point where they're, they're really approaching peak bone mass. Because if you get somebody who's 80 years old or 75 years old back to peak bone mass, they keep that effect. They keep that higher bone density for 30 years. There's quite a bit of research on that too. Hmm. Uh, and So it's not like working a muscle. Like I'm, I'm a big, strong, muscular guy, but if I stop exercising, I'll start losing that. Detraining begins in 10 days. Okay.
0: So how does... I'm a family practice doctor, and I think the current treatment for osteoporosis is crap, to put it mildly. Um, it doesn't work. A lot of the medications are harmful, potentially. So
1: some of the side effects are worse than. Yeah, this.
0: and and so this is is very intriguing to me. How does how do patients go about, or how does me as a doctor go about getting patients to to do something like this? I mean, how how does that all work?
1: You would just refer. You would right. just send them to the location.
0: So we would just need to to find a clinic near us. I don't know if there is any, but and, and then if, if there's right, where not, are you
1: located?
0: Uh, Oklahoma, Oklahoma outside Oklahoma City. <laughs> okay. Um, I just have to look. So, anyways, and then if if not, if if so somebody opens a clinic and they just have these devices and the patients just come in and I'm assuming probably insurance doesn't pay for it, how does all that work? No.
1: No, it's yeah. okay.
0: Yeah, just cash-based.
1: Well, okay. you know, like it. it is. Well, the, the problem with insurance, and for those who don't know who are listening, what you pay to get your insurance payment sometimes is more than the payment. Yeah. Because yeah. you have to have an entire staff that all they do is know how to navigate the complexities of insurance companies. Yeah. yeah. By the time you end up paying your staff, sometimes you're losing money.
0: Yeah, yeah, no oh, doubt. Well, yeah, yeah, and I'm actually uh, m- most of my patients, if they're listening, they know. But I'm I'm still in corporate medicine right now for six more weeks, so I'm getting out, and I'm uh, actually my wife's a doctor. I'm joining her and uh, doing a, just a cash based practice. It's like a monthly membership fee type of thing. So yeah, yeah no insurance is, is that's crap too. But <laughs> different topic.
1: That's our problem in this country. It's yeah. the middleman.
0: Yeah, yeah, but I tell patients all the time, they're like, "Well, why doesn't insurance pay for it?" And I'm like, "Look, insurance." They don't care what's best for you. They want what's cheapest. Because I do some hormone replacement, and they're like, well, "Why won't insurance pay for it?" Because you know there's cheaper alternatives that they're not good for you, but they don't care about that. They want what's cheapest. So,
1: well, what's, what's interesting is I'm I'm trying to be well liked by insurance companies uh, because right now they're they're just a, 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 they're part of the landscape. So we're not we're not going to be able to just blow them up. But um, I do know. And I've heard from some actuarials at big insurance companies, which I will not mention because these people were nice enough to tell me this. They would rather you never work out, sit on the couch and eat Cheetos than go to the gym because the cost of the orthopedic surgeries associated with amateur exercise people is greater than that of two heart attacks over over the course of someone's life. They figure by the time you get a second heart attack, you're, you're dead.
0: Yeah. So Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. But because I, that's
1: how they make decisions. It's just like, what's going to cost us more? Okay. We'll encourage the the opposing view.
0: Well, I don't, I don't imagine you will get this in, you know, uh, covered by insurance anytime soon, because as I've learned, as I've started doing this podcast and just, you know, more, I investigate there's so much influenced by big pharma, well, I love the concept of, of your osteoporosis treatment because, like I said, we just we don't have anything good right now. And and mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, obviously, we we encourage patients to do weight bearing exercise, but these seventy five, eighty year old women, I mean, that's you know, really all they can do is walk. At, at Want to hear
1: some bad news? Yeah, the minimum dose response for triggering bone growth is four point two multiples of body weight. Mm. So even weightlifters, yeah, it's not heavy enough but osteosron is way heavier than that it just you only move a millimeter or two mm-hmm. because it's in that very specific impact ready position and that's how you get these huge forces through the body and so we have in the clinical trial and this actually leads to the second part of your question we had deconditioned elderly women who were uh, were osteopenic we couldn't use fully osteoporotic people who did the trial in london in england and uh you can't tell somebody not to take their bisphosphonate that's unethical even if they don't though i actually no. i take that back there were a few people who were osteoporotic who were just like i'm not taking the meds and so they could be in the study so we had a mix of osteopenic and osteoporotic they were putting six seven times their body weight through their hip joint now these are not athletes these are women who have never exercise, within six months, some of them were using seven times their body weight to load the hip and they were growing bone density very quickly. And they felt fantastic. Also from a psychological perspective, and you, you can, you'll be able to see this uh, in, in respect to your parent, uh, to your patients, they felt like they could control their health. They finally for the first time in their life were like, wow, look a metric of my health that I have some control over. And most people think their health is something out of control and it's very frustrating and they don't want to talk about it. So uh, in fact, when you go to like the Tony Robbins conferences, he, he's a partner in the OsteoStrong business. And so on the health day, which is the last day, starts talking about nutrition. We're going to, you know, today we're going to go over nutrition. We're going to go over exercise. You can see the people that need to hear it the most. They all file right out of the room and go to the airport early. They don't want to hear it. Frustrating subject. So so you, you get to see these people controlling a metric of their health. However, when I was looking at this in, in the London study, I thought, wow, look at these. These aren't, these aren't particularly strong women. They're getting stronger. Look at how much force they can create and handle in the impact-ready position. Like if you compare that, and I did, to like the NANES database, um, the database that uh, – National Institute of Health keeps for like uh, all kinds of health metrics, body composition, exercise statistics, everything. I think there's about 20,000 people in the NA's database and they add 2,000 a year. The analysis of the NA's database shows that people were pushing seven times uh, what they would normally do in a gym on, on one of these devices. So I thought, wow. Like that means in, in a specific position, people are seven times more powerful than they are in the weaker range of motion. Because when you choose a weight to lift, you're gonna choose the weight that you can handle in the weak part of the movement. by definition, you have to. So I'm, I'm looking at data that's showing me that we have a seven-fold variance. Well, if that's true, then weightlifting is a waste of time, right? Because I mean, we need a weight that changes as we move. We do not need to be lifting the same weight when it's on our chest versus a foot away from us, versus two and a half feet away from us. It doesn't make any sense at all. We need to dramatically change that force so that it exhausts us accordingly, and that will trigger incredible growth. So that's where X three came from.
0: So, so you started kind of realizing this this data. And, and so that made you kind of look deeper into it, which yeah. is then what, what led you to write the book and, and yeah. kind of come up with this device. Is that correct?
1: Yeah. And I don't want to put down any of the scientists in sports performance, but there's sort of basis of everything is that weightlifting is the way it is. And then we're going to look at different ways of weightlifting as the different protocols. And, and then we're going to measure them, you know, this these two and these two and these two And my position is like, I just, I took a step further back and like, no, not weights. Absolutely not weights. We need variance, And uh, coincidentally of the 16 studies that I identified uh, in the book that show that are specifically about variable resistance, the higher the degree of variance, the greater the muscular adaptation in hypertrophy and in output power. So like, Like somebody who has a regular weightlifting bar and they throw a band around it also and they're holding X at the bottom and 1.2X at the top, that's hardly scratching the surface. They need X at the bottom and maybe 5X at the top. I mean, not necessarily 7 because, you know, that's absolute exhaustion. So you need a greater degree of variability not just 8-degree variability. A so I,
0: I understood everything you just said, uh, but you know you threw a bunch of terms out there, variable resistance, mm-hmm. hypertrophy, things like that. Mm-hmm. So kind of put that into layman's terms if people aren't familiar with those terms, because you spend a lot right. of time talking about variable resistance. So um, if you will, go back a little bit and just kind of define a little bit more about what is variable resistance, and then as you mentioned, kind of you know how that may increase the the hypertrophy or the size of the muscle and that kind of stuff
1: sure so variable resistance is when the resistance changes as you move and what you want to do is have it change so that the weight gets higher where you are stronger and it gets lighter where you are weaker and in the positions where you're weaker also and this is critical these are where the joints are most exposed to damage now, I'll quote Peter Atia. I'm sure you're a fan, Peter Atiyah, uh, he's, he's an MD and he has a great podcast called The Drive. He, he does not like lifting weights. He, he doesn't like it at all and he doesn't do it. Uh, he does a lot of cardio and he says the problem with weightlifting is it overloads joints and underloads muscle. So he had made the same observation right at about the same time I did. I had the answer. He didn't because I had that data from the bone density medical device study and i you know i thought i looked at this data and i'm like this is the most incredible thing maybe in sports performance ever i'm gonna change everything and so first i went and uh did, did i answer the variable resistance question? yes yes okay. and so
0: i i think maybe you mentioned this in the book I, uh, maybe that's where i got it but um you, you used a, a bench press uh, for example mm-hmm. so on a bench press you're going to be weakest at at the bottom correct and and so what you're saying is you have to adapt the weight so that you're able to push that off your chest, but you could have more weight on maybe the second half of the lift. And so I guess what variable resistance is, it's going to maximize that resistance the whole way.
1: At, right. At, the resistance is always changing okay. in accordance to how powerful you are in that position. Right. Okay. Okay. I mean, I accomplish this in a very simple, elegant way. I do it with latex. So the more you stretch the latex, Now, I want people to be clear on this. There's a lot of elastic type exercises. You can buy bands for $5 or whatever, Walmart. Uh, If you try, so there's a bar that hooks onto these bands and then there's a plate that you stand on that the bands go underneath for if you're doing something like a deadlift or a squat. Uh, off the floor if you try and use these bands without the bar you'll probably break your wrists that's how powerful these things are because you actually are that strong you just don't know it like i said everyone is seven times stronger in the stronger range of motion than they are in the weaker range of motion they've never seen that power before totally like a door they've never unlocked and so once that starts happening, growth happens very quickly. And so
0: muscle growth, you mentioned hypertrophy, which is muscle growth. So that's the main thing that, uh, that causes muscle, uh, muscle size. And so you're saying that by using uh, or tapping into this variable resistance, which you do through, through these heavy bands, um, mm-hmm. that you're going to stimulate much more muscle size than what you would with traditional weightlifting.
1: Yeah, as long as you have the bar and the plate, because if you don't have the bar, your wrists will get twisted. And that's why I said, you'll break a wrist. So the device is really designed to protect the small joints of the body so that you can get power through the big joints of the body. And you know, when I, when I do a chest press, I hold 540 pounds at the top, 300 pounds in the middle and hundred pounds at the bottom. I exhaust first in the stronger range of motion so I go to the 540 until I can't get to the 540. Then I go to the 300. I do that another five repetitions. Can't get there. My last two or three repetitions are in the hundred pound range. But I have completely devastated that muscle.
0: Okay. So how long have you been doing this personally?
1: Four years. Four years and. on 60 pounds of muscle, and I uh, started after my 40th birthday. So. 44 this, now.
0: Is this all you do? I mean, as far oh, as I working do. out. Okay. Yep. for those of you listening you can't see him and i've uh, just you know looked at pictures and of course uh, you can see your picture on the the title of the book uh, but i mean you're you're huge i mean you're jacked and and so you're saying you you got this way through this system of of doing bands
1: oh yeah yeah my before and after pictures are in the book uh on the x3bar website uh on my instagram page uh, yeah. A lot of different places. Like I did not, I, I, I lifted weights for 20 years. It really didn't do much. I put on more, more body fat than I did. And no, I did put on muscle. Now I, I will say, and I think a lot of people, you might not ask this question, but a lot of people are wondering it. Well, what about genetic differences? Cause a lot of people like to dismiss somebody who's super fit as well. Like I just has good genetics. Well, that's easy to say after someone's fit. You know, who has good genetics when no, when, when you're just looking at a bunch of people who have never trained before? Can you pick them out of a crowd? No. Because people don't really know what that means. There is a good versus bad genetics. It has to do with where your tendon attachment points are. So, for example, if somebody has like the standard person, the standard human being, has the attachment of the pectoral on the sternum, and then they have it near the top of the humerus bone. So your upper arm bone, that's that's where the pectoral muscle, the chest muscle, attaches and pulls that upper arm towards the midline of the body. That would be called bad genetics because you don't have a lot of leverage on that bone. There are some people, a very small amount of people, whose tendon attachment is further down the bone. Mike Tyson, for example, has a tendon attachment that's almost at the opposite end, which is why he can hit people with almost full power when they're six inches from his face, whereas nobody else can connect. And these are people who can use a bench press and grow very quickly because they have a longer lever arm within their own body. And there's, there's research on this. I lay it out in the book. Now with variable resistance we completely take this genetic issue out of the equation. Now everybody has the advantage that those people do. Now everybody can look like an NFL player or a boxer.
0: So if it if it grows muscle so if what you're saying is true and and I mean your your evidence of that like I said you're you're huge what about you said this is all you do okay so also let me go back the workouts that you recommend are are pretty short is that correct they're like 10 minutes yes. so not by uh,
1: design it's just you're just devastated after 10 minutes of of using it you can't okay, do so,
0: so within 10 minutes of time you're getting enough muscle damage to to, to grow the muscle basically okay I, I i guess my question is with that all that you, when that's all that you do what about cardiovascular um what about general overall fitness, you know, I, I mentioned before we started recording, I, I'm not real consistent, but I play around with CrossFit a little bit. And CrossFitters would, you know, they kind of define fitness as, you know, a number of things, you know, stamina, strength, flexibility, power, speed, coordination, and, and not just muscle size. And so they would say that doing isometric singular exercises are a waste of time because you're not, um, you're not doing anything for your overall uh, functional fitness so, I mean, what, what would you say to, to all that?
1: Yeah, let me think about this one. Hey, you know, I like CrossFitters. They're dedicated. Let me start with the cardio thing. Okay. So, you, there's a meta-analysis I refer to in the book that cites over 100 studies that all demonstrate that strength training has a greater influence, equal or greater influence on cardiovascular health, the health of your cardiovascular system, than cardiovascular training does now the myth that strength athletes don't get a cardiovascular benefit has to do with the fact that a bigger muscle draws more blood so i weigh 240 pounds and uh it, i tell the story all the time my my buddy and i travel to moscow uh or used to travel to moscow quite frequently he's 140 pounds i'm 240 pounds he's a marathon runner so if you've ever been to the airport in Munich, it's like you're up and down the stairs, like the you checkpoint, you know, for your, for your, whatever, your Russian visa and then you got to go through immigration. You got to collect your bag and you, you're going up and down and up and down. And it's just like the land of stairs. And I don't know why they did that other than maybe they just don't like people, <laughs> but you really got to run up and down the stairs, especially if you're trying to make connections flight. And so um. Constantly stuck in Munich, and every time, and we'd finally get to our flight, and I'm like covered in sweat and winded, like, oh, all right, we're here, and the guy says to me, "Yeah, oh, your cardio is terrible," and I said, "No, it's not. My cardio is awesome. It's probably better than yours. But my legs are five times bigger around than yours are. So when I go to use this engine, my quadriceps, it draws a lot of blood. And the heart has to work a lot harder." because I'm, I'm developed for instant power. Now it's like, it's like who wins the race or who wins the, you know, the aut- automotive contest. And you put a Formula One car next to a Prius. And apparently the contest is which gets better mileage. Well, the Formula One car is going to lose. It doesn't mean it's slow. doesn't mean there's anything wrong with it. It is it is doing what it's designed to do and my body can do what it's designed to do based on the environment I've been placing it in and it can deliver instantaneous power. Incredibly so, but like, can I run a marathon? It would probably cut close and kill me, but yeah.
0: So, so make- the X, the X3 is designed for muscle yeah. growth, strength. I mean, that's just what it does.
1: Right. And I, I have a, I encourage people to to focus on strength cuz the stronger a muscle is the thicker the tendons and ligaments become and when that happens uh, joints are protected when it comes to a lot of cardiovascular activity the repetitive motion can, can have some damage doesn't mean it's everybody yeah yeah, I, yeah I, so I encourage- com- comparing
0: it to crossfit is probably um was probably unfair because it's just apples and oranges i mean because it's just different um yeah
1: in crossfit um there's so many things that are done in crossfit there's some things that are like in crossfit there's some things that are like wow like you have an ambulance waiting outside uh (laughs) you know like like i'm guessing an orthopedic surgeon taught you how to do this uh you know kind of thing so um Meaning he's going to get business out of it because everybody's oh it. yeah for sure yeah yeah uh, so a lot of more groups sponsor CrossFit games and I think yeah. that's just really yeah no, they,
0: yeah, no orthos at so, like CrossFit no there's no doubt so uh, so does you said you've done this just kind of uh, exclusively for about four years and so I don't know if you've been over to the gym at all but will this translate I mean can you could you go into a, a, a gym and and use a traditional bar and yeah.
1: I'm ridiculously strong. Okay, so it would it would translate. No, I mean, so you could... even even I, I was a regular guy. I was a chubby 190 pounds when I started this, and now when I train with some of the NFL players, I train with, I'm stronger than they are. Okay,
0: and that's using and, traditional weights.
1: Yeah, it, okay. and I'm 44, and they're looking. You know, they're in their 20s, and they're like, "What the hell? Okay. Like, how are you this strong?" And I'm like, I "Actually, just got this way. Like, you got me, except." like i mean i figured some stuff out uh but um i would say though that if you want like like i have raw power and it's everything in strength has to do with how much sarcoplasm is in the cells has to do with how much myofibril adaptation meaning the density of the cell how Uh, Not well dense. How dense is that muscle cell and the sarcoplasmic is how much uh, Contractile energy does it contain ATP glycogen and creatine phosphate are those those three those three things that uh, house the energy within the cells so It's fuel its density But then there's also a neuromuscular pattern right with every movement like in fact one of the things with CrossFit that you see very frequently, and it's why I think a lot of CrossFit people, they're like, wow, you know, I, I, I gain a lot on the chalkboard, but, like, I don't look any different. Well, it's because you take a really complex, like, weightlifting movement, which is as hard to master as a golf swing. You can master that and get better and better and better at it, but it doesn't mean you're growing muscle. Mm-hmm. It's a skill you're developing, which mm-hmm. is a fine skill to have. But just know where the adaptation is coming from. It's neuromuscular education, and so, or, or throwing a baseball. Like you know, it's very hard to become to pitch a fastball at 100 miles an hour. Not many people can do it. So like the, it's that type of thing. And for me, and I tell these guys, these NFL players, your job isn't to bench press. Your job is to push people on the line. Focus on that that is your measure of performance. Can you push the other guy? Can you get him to take a back foot? Cuz if you do that, you're getting paid more. You're you'll stay in the league maybe a year, two years, three years longer. You know alignment, you know how much how long the average NFL career is?
0: Is it 10 years? 3 3 is 3 years.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, we're considering everybody. Yeah. Like quarterbacks obviously stick around a lot longer provided they have a good defense than than uh, linemen mm-hmm. but on average three years they got to earn money mm-hmm. cool. that's rough yeah 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 because they get banged up and and it's like if you can if you can preserve joints if you can deliver power then you, your career is going to last longer and that's that's what i'm focused on with those guys
0: gotcha so so back to the cardio and i i agree with you 100 percent doing especially uh kind of long-term cardio does not give you much benefit especially uh, weight loss making your body look better that kind of thing but uh, what about you know hit training is is supposed to be really good so you don't feel like you need to incorporate any of that that type of stuff in with your X3
1: I would almost say X3 is like hit training because right. you because of the diminishing range like you we go really high repetitions because the weight is ridiculously high with X3. So when I do a chest press, I do over twenty repetitions past 540 pounds, or hitting the 540, and then the 300, then maybe five 300-pound reps, and then two hundred-pound reps. That is a crazy amount of exhaustion from a cardiovascular standpoint, as well as muscular. I'm gasping for air after I do that. In fact, when I first got on this uh, this Zoom call with you, I don't know if you could tell, I just finished my workout. I was Gasping for air. It's a cardiovascular stimulus also, but it's not sustained. It's not a sustained high rate. So I would call that more like HIIT training. And uh, HIIT training really works well because when you're moving, no, it's different, but when you're moving weight that's pretty heavy that's going to exhaust you pretty quickly so that you can't sustain handling it. Or let's say you're moving quickly, like doing sprints you got a lot of stabilization firing going. And in 2016, my co-author, Henry Alkire and myself, and we'll never do this again, wrote a meta-analysis. Never write a meta-analysis. Like, that's life advice, Okay, don't do that. Uh, it's just, it's such a pain. But we wrote a meta-analysis on stabilization firing and the attenuated growth hormone response. And so when you have Stabilization firing plus load, you can increase your growth hormone levels by 2,600%. And uh, that's why a HIIT training works so well. Because like, if you look at a sprinter, they have so much stabilization firing. If you look at the skull of a sprinter, it looks like it was lined up with a laser. If you look at a distance runner, their head's bobbing up and down the whole time. There's no stabilization firing. They've got a shorter stride. They don't need it. It doesn't get turned on, and they don't get the upregulation of growth hormone. Instead, they get an upregulation of cortisol. Cortisol's job is getting rid of muscle and preserving body fat, meaning you stay fat or longer, which seems to me to be the opposite of what anybody should want. So the hit training is great. I classify X three as that. Okay. From a, so you're from getting a, your heart,
0: you're getting your heart rate up enough. Is what oh you're yeah. Oh. In this so incredibly. Yeah, so. I was wanting to ask you about the reps because you mentioned in your book that you do fairly high reps. Um, mm. me, me personally, over the years, I've been weightlifting. You, you really, the only time I get stronger and definitely bigger is when I use real heavy weight. And yeah. so, obviously, the heavier weight, the lower reps.
1: There's uh, no I, getting away from heavy. But with yeah. X3, you're still going to be able to go high reps and high weight. And uh, that's a deeper level of exhaustion, especially when you consider the diminishing range
0: so you're, yeah. you're saying you're still going heavy but you're just doing higher reps but that's uh, mm-hmm. that's still going to
1: grow, grow the muscle didn't. because you have a seven-fold difference from strong weaker range uh so so this
0: is all you do do you get you get bored with it i mean kind of doing the same kind of push-pull type type exercises for years and years you know
1: i do that every once in a while and i i have like kind of a smart ass response when somebody's like well sometimes i just want to mix it up and i'm like do you brush your teeth the same way every day or do you just like use the toilet brush every once in a while just to mix it up? <laughs> like, I mean, just for variety, you just right, go right. from the toilet brush and just bury your face in it. Yeah. You know, of course they're like, "Get hey, the hell with you. <laughs> I really understand. But I, I'm trying to point something out. Like if we know what the optimal is and we know deviating from the optimal will only compromise our progress. Why would you horse around with anything else? Screw up your rhythm. Yeah yourself I don't know like I, I wouldn't like I, I view it as just like brushing your teeth it's the same thing like you're gonna do what you need to do it's the most efficient thing do your teeth clean or to get mus- muscular stimulation accomplished okay
0: so you these workouts are about 10 minutes and that's that you do a 10 minute workout what six days a week yeah six, and six that's days all, a week. and that's all you do mm-hmm
1: I do it in my office or I have an x-ray in the trunk of my car. I mean, they're small. Like, here's the bar. I keep one in my, uh, you know, and I keep one in the trunk of my car. I keep one in my suitcase. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, everywhere I go, I've got yeah. an x-ray. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, like I said, I'm, I'm intrigued about it. I'm getting ready to start a new job here in about six weeks. And so uh, I usually work out at lunch. And so I'm, uh, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm thinking about, trying this kind of thing at just at lunch but but i obviously don't have travel anywhere I just go back to my office and do a maybe yeah, it's ten minute, office. 10 minute workout or something so.
1: like there's yeah. the four bands that come with it and then the ground plate that you need to stand on for most of the movements mm-hmm. but you can, you can pack it in a drawer right you keep in your office and uh yeah like it's really simple and straightforward nothing keeping you from doing it yeah it's interesting
0: well Let's talk about some of the other things you do, you know, because you talk about, you know, kind of optimizing hormones. You talk about how cardio uh, increases cortisol, which I agree with you 100%. But uh, you were saying that this type of workout, which you, you may have uh, alluded to it just a minute ago, but this type of workout uh, is going to maximize the hormone response, which also right. kind of aids in, in the muscle growth. Is that correct?
1: Both growth hormone and testosterone. Because the weight, so a bigger effect people used to think the more testosterone you had that the more muscle you grow. No, it's the more activity in testosterone reception. So the body has to be ready to take it. And there's only one indicator of what triggers that. And that is how heavy are you lifting? The heavier the weight you put through the body, the more testosterone receptors are activated. So like you don't need a ton of testosterone. So people who are like, trying to like figure out some way, like they get two prescriptions for testosterone replacement therapy from two different doctors Mm -hmm. and they fill them at different pharmacies. And then they think, oh, I'm gonna have twice the amount of testosterone. It doesn't work that way. Like your body, it's sort of like, you know, if if taking two Tylenol gets rid of your headache, taking four Tylenol doesn't make you levitate. You can't just float around the room like it's some, you know, godlike drug. Mm -hmm. It's not the way it works. Like it does what it's intended to do at its minimum dose response. And that's how testosterone works in the body. And if you keep stimulating the receptors, you'll make more. Okay.
0: Um, you also talked about a little bit about myostatin. So we want to decrease myostatin, which is if we decrease that, then it's going to increase muscle building. And so you say that the X3 can create a, a hypoxic effect on muscles. Right. Uh, meaning lack of oxygen, thus decreasing myostatin. Mm-hmm. So does uh, how does that compare to traditional weightlifting? Uh, does does traditional weightlifting uh, just do it at much less, or how, how does that work?
1: You, you went over the most complex part of the book. Um, so uh, L- but listeners,
0: I, uh, listeners probably won't care about that, but it's fascinating to me. So
1: sure, sure. So to get to hypoxia, you really you've got to trick the body into not seeing a certain amount of muscle like it disappeared and then so like body mass goes down according to the cardiac axis it says okay let's reduce myostatin so we can build some more of this mass because it all of a sudden it's gone and this is a little bit theory but it's pretty well backed up by a number of studies that i cite in the book i mean observing the phenomena like i'm sort of putting a voice to the central nervous system where it really doesn't do that. I'm pointing out that when you, when you have blood flowing into a muscle and don't let it flow back, the heart's going, okay, like what do we do here? We reduce myostatin and then more mass can be built and that reduction in myostatin does last a number of hours. And that's fantastic because it allows you to really change your genetic potential. And uh, the reason it doesn't work with weights is because you, re- you can't get hypoxia. So, like, when you're curling, curl as an example. There's a great example of an inefficient exercise. The max weight is when you're at a 90-degree angle, when your lower arm is parallel to the ground, your upper arm uh, is perpendicular to the midline of your body. And then as you continue the contraction the weight actually goes to zero because or close to it because you're aligning the lever arm which is your lower part of your arm the fulcrum let's call it all is is almost parallel to the upper arm there's no load on it at all and that's one of the problems of the inefficiency of regular weightlifting is is that we've got lever arms or fulcrums through the body in that it really adjusts what force is going through the body and kind of can make some parts of movements irrelevant. And so like, you know, when you're, when you're in a squat, uh, when you're nearing the top, you're just really loading the bone. You're not really contracting much of the muscle at all, unless you have variable resistance. When you have variable resistance, Now you're engaging the musculature to a much higher degree, even when you take advantage of a biomechanical efficiency. So like at the top of my squat, I might be holding an extra 400 pounds. The bottom of my squat, I'm only holding an extra 50 pounds. Keeps my knees protected, but also gives me uniformity in the intensity of the contraction throughout the movement. Therefore, When I want to maintain hypoxia, I can't. Now, the only other way to do that is with tourniquets uh, and regular weightlifting. But the problem with the tourniquets is, and you you know what I'm talking about, with blood flow restriction banding, the problem with that is your body knows you're choking part of it, which is why you can't lift heavy when you have a tourniquet on. So you lift light and then you're denying the body the testosterone stimulus. But with, with the way I designed X3, you get the testosterone stimulus with the heavy weight. But because of the variable resistance, you're also getting the benefit of a maximum hypoxic effect at the same time.
0: So does traditional weightlifting have any effect on myostatin or it's just much, much uh, lower than yeah, like the
1: bands? It, it does. It has little. some. Okay. Yeah. But uh, the, the more blood you can keep, away from the heart for a period of time. And this happens very quickly, as we know with the blood flow restriction banding. You know, just keep it away for a minute or something like that. And myostatin drops way off and stays there for quite a bit of time. And that's when your body's allowed more growth. Okay. Well,
0: very good. So so you you do just the X3 workout with bands. Uh, and then I also just want to touch briefly on nutrition because you did talk about that in your book. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if, if people want to look like you, which, uh, like I said, you're huge, they can do this, this type of a workout, but they, they also need, need some of these other things. So, uh, you do more of a, a carnivore-ish kind of diet. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah. Um, and, uh, I don't know when this uh, podcast is going to be released, but, um, you know, I did a, a talk to Dr. Sean Baker and we talked about, we discussed the carnivore diet. I'm actually a fan. I don't eat that way hundred percent, but I am a fan of it. But h- how long have you been doing that, that style of eating?
1: Uh, I mean, ketogenic for 13 years. I mean, oh, wow. ketogenics is before people called it that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, pretty much just animal protein. Um, Good for you. Yeah. I also don't like, like, and you'll relate to me on this, I, I really don't like when people call something a ketogenic diet. Okay, ketogenesis is a function of the human body. Right. Like, and all you need to trigger it is the absence of carbohydrates it's not really the diet that makes you ketogenic necessarily. It's, it's what your body is doing. What your body's doing. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And then, because, and the reason I don't like the term ketogenic diet is because it lumps it in with all kinds of other nonsensical diets like the South beach diet or plan five diet or the, you know, I don't know, chocolate covered diet. Like, you know, there's all kinds of just weird. And, And it's like, it's, it's a principle of human physiology that we don't engage. I don't want it to be dismissed and mixed in with all this other stupid crap because it's not, it's profound. Now, uh, you know, Dave Asprey's approach to a nutrition program that encourages ketogenesis, which is really what his bulletproof diet does. He didn't call it the ketogenic diet for a reason because he understood smart guy you know, like he recommends all kinds of vegetable fats and vegetable oils, not the processed kind of vegetables, but like, sure. like, um, yeah. Yeah, you know, like avocados yeah. Yeah. Like he loves avocado. He can put avocado on everything. Mm, I got mixed feelings on that. Uh, I, I don't like oxalates. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, uh, and I can feel the inflammation. I know if I have oxalates in my system, my workout's going to suck by comparison to if I'm all steak for the past okay. two days.
0: Yeah, so you're Big you're dip. so you're pretty much an all meat guy.
1: Uh, pretty much, I, I like bacterial fermentation, uh, and they talk about that in the book. Uh, so so the uh, the majority of protein, I'm running an experiment right now, where I do 200 grams or the equivalent of the value of 200 grams of protein uh, from bacterial fermentation throughout the day. So uh, so I get like a one meal a day kind of thing. So it's like a 23. 23 hour fast every day. And I get the benefit of the fasted period. Mm-hmm. But then uh, also in that one meal, I'll do like a pound of meat. And then so, you know, I get the benefit of a carnivore nutrition also and a pound of meat. And then like, my bacterial fermentation is, is only 16 calories throughout the day. So like, I'm really getting very little, mm-hmm. I'm, you know, so it's, I'm I'm eating at a deficit and getting a fasted benefit. Uh, so like I'm I'm getting very lean very quickly.
0: Um, well, one last thing I want to ask you about because you you talk in the book about um, cellular hydration and and steps to amplify growth and and uh, hyperplasia, uh, mm-hmm. and and so you kind of had some some steps here that I wrote down that I just thought were were useful and interesting. You, you mentioned to, to maybe take some creatine, creatine and and maybe a vasodilator uh, workout, then stretch your muscles and then possibly consume a bunch of carbs right after you work out. Uh, So, so just kind of talk about what that can do uh, for somebody trying to build muscle.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a real, now. I would, the problem is when you in fitness, for some reason, if you say something is an advanced technique, the guy who picked up the weight for the first time yesterday believes he's advanced and wants to charge hard right into this. And and Like, you know, I hate that, but it's just the nature of like, people want, they want the maximum benefit. And this is not the kind of thing somebody needs to worry about when they're a beginner, but it doesn't matter how many times I say that the beginners are, are the ones who they're, they're doing it. So Uh, if you want to maximize the amount of growth, you want to make sure that you have the maximum amount of hydration within the muscle, which means replacing muscle glycogen very quickly, pushing on the casing around the muscle, the muscle fascia. One of the greatest limits of muscle growth is the casing around it. And if you can stretch that out, uh, you can receive extra growth. And so, uh, hydrating the muscle stretching the muscle after it's hydrated or while it's being hydrated is is uh important and uh this has been proven with animal models uh in fact professor jose antonio out of university of um, florida state university uh he's like the top in the field of of this and creating hyperplasia but so I've, I've been applying this and no doubt it works uh, and it, there's, there's, there's human evidence too. And I cite all of that. And, it, it's one, and that's the other very technical part of the book. I love that you asked the, the, the two most technical things. Um, but it's um, combining that with the stimulus from the variable resistance that X3 has. So it, X3 already creates so much blood flow. And then you begin to rehydrate the muscle and stretch it and you do get a growth effect that is incredible
0: well let's talk about the carbohydrates for a minute because we were just talking about you know ketogenic and and mm-hmm. you know carnivore uh, and and so you mentioned consuming quite a bit of carbs within 30 minutes of, of your workout is that something that you do personally or
1: So I have noticed when I when I started doing 140 grams of carbohydrates which which is uh, I'm sorry 120 which is half of the grams in body weight. That was the lower number that I recommended. Okay. I had spillover, like I, I, it, would, it would show up on a glucose meter, you know, like, like I had a something. Then I kind of felt shitty, it didn't feel good. Okay. I don't like that feeling. Because uh, once you're zero or close to zero carbohydrates, you don't really like how carbohydrates feel. Right. Like once you get them out of your system, And then you have carbohydrates, you're like, wow, yeah, I don't think I'm supposed to have these because I feel awful. Uh, And you ask any bodybuilder who like carbs up for like a contest, they think they're going to feel superhuman because they haven't had carbohydrates in six months. And oh, I'm going to get that super fuel in my system. And they're like, oh, I feel awful. Uh, And you do. And so I cut it just, I cut it 10 grams every day I did it to 80 and at 80 grams I almost don't have an insulin event at all like there's just a blip and so I I use the muscle glycogen goes right into goes right into glycogen and then and then I don't I don't feel bad I don't feel weak I don't feel sweaty I don't feel the beginnings of hypoglycemia i I know a lot of people say oh i'm hypoglycemic when their hands start to shake or something like that it's like "Mm, you've never been hypoglycemic apparently because that's not quite what that is but it's it's that is the beginnings of that and uh, so i can i could do a workout and do the carbohydrates and not have a significant enough insulin event to bother i won't say interrupt because it certainly interrupts the fast but it doesn't bother me in any sort of measurable way until i get to the meal so you feel like that's the hours later so you feel like that's
0: been an advantage for you to do that to consume those 80 grams of carbs and then eat later and what do you what will you typically eat as, as carbohydrates rice okay
1: yeah i mean rice but you know, people are like, "Hey, can I have a piece of pizza?" And I'm like, "I'm not your doctor." Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> you no, know? I mean, it's it's carbohydrates. Honestly, it absorbs quick. So, how can I say no? So, and so you do, also, so you do that,
0: and and then, but you don't typically work out right before you eat. So you'll you'll do that, eat some type of carbohydrate, and then eat your big meal later. Is that what I heard you say?
1: I would prefer. So so today, for example, I prefer to out carbohydrate and then have a meal within an hour afterward. It'll be about two or three hours today but I yeah I'd, I'd prefer it like that. I'm recently in a new relationship gotcha. and um, schedules are not really a thing. Hey I'll have dinner ready by seven or eight or nine you know so there's that so I, I can't time it like I'd really like to like to be as precise so yeah I've, I've learned to be flexible i learned oh. that it's just that's just the landscape i live in well
0: um so before we finish i always uh i always ask my guest and uh guests uh to give us one tip that can make us healthier today it can be about anything uh, what what would you say to that sorry i didn't prepare you for that so
1: <laughs> not. i would say of any principle out there if you're not going to bother to like, read a book about it or, or really absorb yourself in the knowledge because I think the only successful X3 user is the one who really seeks out the information as to why we're doing all this. Because otherwise they'll edit the program for their own convenience and screw up some of the principles and then they don't, won't do well. I see that, I don't know, with 10% of the users of X3. They go, yeah, I'm going to do five sets of whatever. And I'm like, five sets? Like, that is just ridiculous overtraining. Or you're half-assing every set and then, you know, you're not really getting much out of it. Either way, bad idea. So, So I see that kind of thing. The easiest thing that will deliver the maximum value in health is a fasted period. Letting your gut heal. I had no idea. And, and the anabolic response, uh, the anabolic rebound after a fasted period is awesome. Like your body's ready to grow. Your body's ready to develop new cells after a fasted period. So I, I, I just encourage everybody, just just eat one meal a day. You can do it, anybody can do it. Yep. I, I've seen people who have zero willpower who will go, okay. You know, I, I, I like you think back on the time where you traveled, the airline food was awful. So you didn't eat it. You, know, you looked at some gelatinous chicken or something like that on your Delta flight. And you're like, Yeah, no, I'm not even going to bother with that. And then so, and then you realize you're in such a hurry to get out the door, you land, and then you go to a restaurant and you're dead tired. And you're like, God, I haven't eaten anything in like 35 hours. Everybody's had a day like that. Did you die? No. Did you even feel bad? Probably not. You were hustling. You you didn't enjoy the travel. Nobody does. It was okay. And then when you ate, you felt fantastic. So, I I, I really like the... the-
0: that's, yeah, that's great advice. And, you know, I, I asked this question to all my guests and, and that's a very popular answer. And, of course, most of the people um, on okay. yeah, yeah, the... Yeah, most of the people I'm interviewing are, you know, health, wellness, you know, experts and stuff. And so that's a very popular answer. And I I agree, you know, things I've learned. And as a physician, I mean, man, there's really not a lot that's more powerful than fasting as far as being able to get off medications, decrease your insulin levels or, or help with insulin resistance you know, decrease risk of cancer, lose weight. I mean, it does so much and it's free. And, and so, yeah, no, I, I agree with, with everything. It's also sense.
1: why it'll never be promoted because there's no you're business. Absolutely right.
0: it. You're absolutely right. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Big pharma isn't going to make any money on fasting. So yeah, you're, <laughs> you're, <laughs> you're absolutely right. So do you, like do,
1: supplement companies are not going to make any money on fasting. That's right. That's right.
0: Oh. So do you work out when you do your workout? Or, are you always in a fasted state? Always. Really? Okay. And then you'll you'll just eat your carbohydrates afterwards. But you always work out fast. Yep. All yep. right. Well, very good. One last uh, question I had, I was going to ask you. So there are, uh, I, I just looked on Amazon and stuff. There are, I don't, I, I guess you could call them knockoffs. Uh, I don't know if they're knockoffs of this or there's some other, you know, systems that are maybe similar out there. Yeah. Yeah. So how are those kind of different than than the X3? They
1: look like X3, but they deliver. 20 pounds of force whereas the x3 is 600 pounds of force and you need that like based on the understanding you're seven times stronger than you think you are 20 pounds isn't going to do anything like so these things they may look similar uh a 1980s trans am may look similar to a lamborghini but is it a lamborghini no so like what kind of results do you want uh, also, I, I see the people who we we don't really lose a lot of business to these. We we shut a bunch of the knockoffs down, uh, but um, just because they're violating the intellectual property that we own, uh, and it's a process, and they pop up again under a different name, or or a different spelling of the same, a similar word, or something like that, we actually don't lose business to those guys, and we actually get them to give us business because what ends up happening is they buy the crappy one for 50 bucks and realize like, Oh, like this doesn't work. But the concept, they get the concept after just one or two repetitions, usually the, uh, the piece of equipment falls apart. And then they're like, okay, I got, I just got to get a real X3. Gotcha. And they do. So, uh, yeah. And in fact, there's, there's one out there that's, Really bad, but it's the heavier kind of one. I think it might be even be like sixty pounds, and it breaks constantly and hits people in the face. Uh, with the, the hook, the hook will come around and hit you right in the side of the face. They get to feel one or two reps of real variable resistance, and they're like, "Okay, I get it. Now I understand why X3 costs five hundred fifty dollars, because you need a serious piece of gear to deliver some serious force." And that that's, that's what it is. It's just, it's a quality build. It's amazing. Like, like, like this is uh, an aluminum, anodized aluminum exterior with a solid steel core. Uh, even Olympic bars are hollow. This isn't more powerful than a regular Olympic bar. It's just something to keep in mind. You know, you get what you pay for. Sure. And people who buy the, the cheapo one, they were either looking for a fake fitness thing. You know, like there's people who say, I work out at home and they buy some trx straps and they hang them from something in the garage and then they never touch them it's just so they can say they work out at home they don't they weren't never they were never really they never really had an intention of any type of real exercise at all and for them it's it's obviously the perfect product because it allows them to lie to themselves and their friends uh but that's that's human nature people do that uh and that's fine but if you really want the serious results like you know there's 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 only one thing. Well, very good. So, uh, how can people find you? What's,
0: what's you know, your
1: website? You know, I used to have to bark five different handles, and f- find me in different places. Uh, I created a landing page. It's drj.com, D O C T O R, the letter J.com. And you can find, and there's links to my Instagram, uh, YouTube, Facebook, uh, uh, different websites uh, where you can find the different products, uh, different nutrition. Uh, websites and and, uh, and and exercise science websites. So yeah, DrJ.com.
0: Very good. Okay. All well, right, you, John Jayquish. Uh, We certainly yes. preci- appreciate your time on a very interesting yes. subject. So,
1: thank you. But, uh, All right,
0: guys. Well, uh, thank you guys for listening, and we will talk to you next time. Thank you for listening to FitRx. I invite you to share this with friends and family. If you would like, you can check out our website at VibrantLifeDC.com or you can email me at drgregatvibrantlifedc.com. This podcast is for general information only. It is not intended as a substitute for general health care services. If you have medical conditions, you need to see your doctor. Use of this information is at the user's own risk.